If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Ladies and gentlemen, we have John Gruber here with us. I mean, like, I'm just as shocked as you are. Uh, I mean, this is this is quite the treat. John, thank you so much for joining us. Um, How did I get here? I don't know. You just kind of popped up. Me and Hartley were me and Hartley were planning to do this. That's why I'm saying I'm shocked. Hartley and I were trying to do this episode, and then all of a sudden it says John Gruber's calling in. I'm like, well, I think we have to take it, right? I mean, I feel like yeah. we have to. Where am I? <laughs> You're on the Macrumor show, man. Thank you so much. Um, well, that's gonna... fun. Yeah. We're going to talk that's... a little uh, Mac stuff. Um, and I guess we could probably just jump right into it. Uh, have you been using Mac OS Ventura quite a bit? <laughs> uh, no, not really. I mean, I have it on a spare machine. Uh, my... There's a, there, lots and lots of little features, right? There's like the, oh, yeah. uh, uh, like the the family shared account for photos and stuff that you have to kind of get everybody and all your devices all on the latest. But I'm not because I haven't gotten the rest of my family on the latest stuff. So it's like, uh, how am I going to test that? So really, no, except for, of course, famously system settings, which I've been kicking the tires with all summer. So. I, I have not moved my main machines to Ventura. I just did that recently. And um, first off, the system settings, I refuse to. Uh, like, if I have to go into the system settings, I, like, try to close my eyes and navigate it because it's it's so horrendous in my opinion. But, you know, you win some, you lose some. I But I think the main topic that I wanted to, you know, touch on, and I wanted to get both of your opinions. Uh, Hartley, do, have you moved your... Uh, have you moved to your main machine with Ventura yet, or is it just me? I, I did very, very tentatively yesterday. I thought oh. I, I need to give stage manager a, a, a true chance um, on the Mac, you know, in in day to day work, and see how that see how that, that that comes out. And I actually today was my first full day using stage manager in Ventura properly, and I quite enjoyed it. Actually. That's that's where I was going to go with this. I've been using it like I okay, so I've had Ventura on since day one. Uh, but I totally forgot about Stage Manager on it. Uh, after we posted our video, I literally forgot about it, and I did not turn it on until yesterday. And I used it all day, and I completely forgot that I was even in. Like, I, I like it. I really like it on the Mac. Because my mind, I don't like all these windows uh, kind of floating behind each other. It, like, And then seeing your cl you know cluttered desktop. and like I really like that I can just, ta what is it, command tab to another app. And it just slides it on in, and I'm only looking at that. You know, sometimes for multitasking, if you need to do, you know, then it, then it becomes an issue. But, you know, then you can make your little pairings and stuff. So, John, have you had a chance to – I mean, you've tested it before. And any interest in the future with that? Yeah, I think it's not for me. Uh, okay. uh, but, uh, and uh, it, I think – on my show at WWDC, I think it's sort of what Federighi actually said, which is if you're really happy with the way Windows are managed in macOS and have been forever, then 
don't worry about it. This isn't going to get in your way. And I think that's me. You know, it, it, yeah. it is uh, it, it, the fact that it's not on by default. I, I know some people take it as condemning it, you know, like, oh, they know it stinks because it's not on by default if it was. No, but I, I actually think that for something like this and, and when a platform is as uh, at this point, ridiculously old as as mac is right it's decades right. old and it's going to be here like I, I we kind of have a sense now of where you know zooming out to the big picture it, it's going to be here for decades to come right uh, the mac has been around forever it is probably going to be here for the foreseeable future and it is the way it is and you can't disrupt the way people manage their windows with something major by default so I, I I don't see that as a problem. And, and for me, I, I am sort of a dozens and dozens of windows and they're all stacked up on my desktop and I'm fine with that. And I don't really see it as a mess because they're all hidden behind my frontmost window. <laughs> but that's, I've got my way of, I've got my way of working with windows. Uh, I do think as an interface nerd though, it is fascinating how stage manager is so close to being the same feature on iPad and Mac OS. And yet because iPad and Mac OS are so different, it comes across feeling so different. Absolutely. I was just going to say, like, I was going to ask you guys, did you use it on iPad OS as much? And you know, did you have the same feelings? Because you're right. It is a, it's weird. Like I don't want to use it on the iPad, but I do enjoy using it on the Mac. And to touch on what you said earlier about uh, the Windows, like it was never a problem for me. But then once you experience Stage Manager, it becomes like, oh, okay. I didn't realize how much I enjoyed this more than having like all of those windows in your face, even though they're hidden behind the one you're using. It's just like I didn't realize that clutter bothered me until I had it available to just be one app center stage. For me, what I liked was being able to just contextually see those apps in that shelf on the side was something that I didn't really expect to enjoy. Um, it was just just being able to see, say you've got the Messages app in that shelf, you can just see the, the message pop in there. Um, and it gives you a little bit more contextual awareness in a way that different spaces don't on the Mac. Um, but when it comes to the iPad, I think that's where things get messy because they, they feel so similar and yet so far apart. Um, and I think that's possibly the central issue um, in that if Apple had committed to giving the stage manager experience on the iPad a little bit more like it was on the Mac, I think there possibly would have been a little bit less criticism for it. But they've tried to go in this 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 sort of third direction, making it a much more distinctively iPad-like experience. And um, I'm just not sure it's, it feels anywhere near as finished as it does on the Mac. But of course, you know, as John says, it's a much more mature platform. So it's building on the on the windowing system that's you know been been matured for, for decades at this point. I think the, one of the weird things about it is uh, Apple has obviously decided over you know the last 10 years to not make iPad OS a clone of Mac OS or you know it, it, it's a distinctive third uh, operating system that is still it, to my eyes you know much closer to being a version of iPhone's operating system, right? It's the 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 name change when they started calling it iPad OS and not just a a version of iOS. 
it's sort of iwash right it's it's just a name it, you can kind of see it still is the phone's operating system but it's obviously since they've given it that name ipad os it has a bunch of these features that are specific to the bigger screen of ipad uh, but i think that at the highest level the most interesting thing is they've added this stage manager feature to both mac and ipad and it's all new and it's quite different and the one thing they didn't do for iPad is the one thing that most people think they want, which is just give us red, yellow, green buttons, right? Just give us close buttons on the windows. Right. You know, I, I just want to move this window around. And then when I want to close it, just give me a red button to close it. And we still don't have basic window controls on iPad. Like they really want to sort of forge this. Uh, interface where, where, where to me the the most damning thing about it on iPadOS is that we don't know what to call these things on screen. We call them are they windows, but you can't close them and you can't quite size them just the way you want. You kind of have to take certain preset uh, sizes for the windows, and it, it, it's all a bit more fiddly than if they just did the most obvious thing, which is just. When you're in this mode, just make them like Mac windows with red, yellow, green buttons and let me size them and position them wherever I want them. I'm not saying that's the right idea. They're, you know, I, I'm sure they've considered it, but it is interesting that they, to me, that they haven't done that, which seems more obvious and instead have, have implemented a much more complicated system across both platforms, stage manager, um, you know, for better or for worse at this point in November 2022. <laughs> so, okay, as a U, as a UI designer here, uh, you know, put on, let's put on that hat for a second. It, it, what would you change about Stage Manager if you could? Like, what's the one thing? You no, know, no matter how big or small, to make it more useful for you at least. I'd, I might be the wrong person. To, and, and which platform? On Bo Both, both, both. Let's start with the Mac. But then, you know, if there's nothing for Mac, you can move on to iPad. That's fine. But uh, man, I, you're putting me on the spot here, and I feel like I should have a good <laughs> I should have a good answer for this. But I I honestly don't know. I, I don't know how to answer that question. I okay. I kind of feel. I I guess I kind of it. it this is not a good answer to your question. I kind of wish it did less automatically and let me arrange things together into stacks more manually yeah but that's that's not that's not that's much easier said than done i get it that that, that it's the it's the automatic part that keeps it from becoming a mess, right? Like if I say I what I want to do is manage the stacks in the, in Stage Manager manually, all of a sudden I'm just recreating the regular mode of macOS. So, I, long story, you know, long bad answer to your question. I kind of <laughs> want it to be more like the regular windowing mode. <laughs> I, I, think, I think that's that's most people's most yeah. people's <laughs> ultimate takeaway, really. I mean, I know there's some people that absolutely love Stage Manager, but everyone, I think, uh, that at least most of the noise around Stage Manager is just, why didn't you just give us a, a more conventional system of windowing? And I do understand why they haven't, right. because it is so important that the iPad is not just the Mac. Um, <sighs> but it, it's it's just interesting that Apple has, must have been wrestling with this with this problem. Um, and it's it was severe enough to delay iPadOS, right? I mean, they had that extra time to work on Ventura as they, they always do. Um, 
for the Mac. But you know, stage manager in the in the initial betas of um, Ventura was uh, you know it was was pretty solid. Apple's never going to say it because they're not going to admit it. But it, it, the fear for us on the outside is that they've they've gotten too clever by far, right? That that's always the fear with something like this is that that there is no grand master plan inside the company that explains why stage manager is more complicated than it seemingly needs to be, right? And why it's not just, hey, just give me a more Mac-like windowing mode where everything gets a red, yellow, green button or just just the red button, right? <laughs> I just want to close a window sometimes. Right. Uh, and is is it that they've that that idea is too facile you know that it's too simplistic and like i'm not we're not seeing through all of the ways that that would actually be undesirable and like oh you have no idea it sounds so simple but actually and then you get up to you get like craig federighi up to a whiteboard and personally and he could explain to you oh and and here's 17 reasons why that's actually a a much more complicated idea than it seems. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And then you have to do this. You have to do that. You have to handle this case. I don't know. But I always think back to like the original iPhone, the first version of iOS. And what is the home screen? What is it? It is just a grid of icons and you tap one to launch it. You know, here, here's the calculator. You just tap it and it opens a calculator or you hit a home button and you go back to it. And here's your mail app and tap mail and it opens mail. And it is the simplest metaphor. It's just a four in a row a grid of icons. And it, it is, it's so humble, right? And in a way, and, and I think that they were so smart to do it that way, but it's so much was impressive about the iPhone that they didn't have to impress us with how clever the overall metaphor for the fundamental aspect of using the operating system, the home screen, they could do the simplest, simplest thing possible. Something that quite frankly, it, it is, it's, it's pretty much like a Palm Pilot from a decade earlier, right? It's just a grid of icons, one tap opens the app, that's it. And I, I just worry that with something like Stage Manager, that, that they've gotten too caught up in trying to impress with cleverness of the idea as opposed to just doing the brain dead simple thing and and let it be i don't know though it it, it i i don't want to because I, I i bet there are those dozens of reasons why what seemingly is more simple actually wouldn't work so i don't know no i think How's that's that i think no i think that's i think that 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 explains the the core issue Really, um, and I think that that also speaks to the larger issue that Apple has had with iPadOS for some time. Because although we did have these other systems of multitasking, like Split View and Slide Over, before, they were also far from perfect. I think they also had quite a significant learning curve, and the the system of gestures um, and the way you you we talked about it in the last episode with Federico Vitici that you you're, you're bringing over Slide Over windows when you don't when you don't mean to and. It, it's not, um, it, it doesn't have that simplicity that actually is at the core of what makes the, the iPhone and the iPad experience so accessible. Um, and I, I suppose that would be probably the best bit of advice 
um, that Apple could could take right now, which is try and try and come up with a, a simpler method. If it must be iPad specific, um, it, it's got to kind of embrace those those simpler origins, I would say. Yeah, I had Federico on my podcast recently. He's in demand because <laughs> all this all iPad stuff is coming. <laughs> hot commodity. Um, and, and I think I, I, I'll just steal it. I don't know. It may have been his observation. Uh, I'll take credit for it here. Uh, don't tell Federico. Um, but I, I think the most damning thing about the state, overall state of iPad OS with Stage Manager in addition to Split View and everything else that's been built up over a decade is would you want to explain how this works to somebody who is not a power user? Let's just, you know, let's just say somebody who's never heard of Mac rumors or daring fireball, just a typical, but, but is in the Apple store, you know, uh, like thousands and thousands of other people out there, you know, just a normal user. Would you like to explain to those people exactly when, when they should use split view and when they should use stage manager and what the difference is and why they're two different modes. I, I personally would rather not be the one to explain <laughs> that. I mean, it just like, sounds like trying to, you know, explain something to your parents. Like it's just, uh, they, they're going to look at you and be like, why, why do I need to do, why do I, why do I need this at all? Really? And that's right. really the question is, you know, for me here, I sit here all the time and I think like, yeah, I would just prefer if they made the iPad um, come with Mac OS. And I know that that's a very simple thing for me to say, but like you said, it's probably incredibly hard for them to, you know, make that actually happen and make it functionally and good. Um, but in my mind, I'm like, no, nah, it just seems easy. Like, let's just make it Mac OS on an iPad. And if you want to go over into a more simple view uh, where you kind of slide into like a tablet mode, kind of like what Windows does, um, where they have a quote unquote tablet mode and then just your regular Windows 11, like let, let's do that. But, you know, I'm not, an, I, I don't design these things for a reason. And so I'm sure there's a way, but like, it's just weird how the same feature fundamentally on just two different machines, one's a much better experience to someone and it's just not on an iPad. Like, I don't know. Um, the whole thing has been weird. So, well, it's yeah, I, I don't know. I, I just Go keep ahead, coming Bob. back to the fact. I just keep coming back to the fact that people have been saying, "I wish that iPad OS was more like Mac OS." At least when I'm in a laptop configuration, and yeah. now now it, they've done it, but only by adding this new thing, as opposed to making it more like the way it, it the standard mode that that to me is a, just a little frustrating like like they just keep toying the line of it and it's just like either you you commit to it or you don't you know they were like i don't know if they came out and were publicly like we're not putting a mouse on this you're not going to have mouse. but like for a while we all just kind of thought that's not going to happen you're not going to you know it's an accessibility feature and then people were like well we kind of like this <laughs> like we're turning it on even though we're not necessarily aimed for that specific feature for that audience who needs it for the accessibility but like we like using this so why are we not getting this and then they give us then they just go for it they give us a keyboard with the trackpad on it and it's like well if you're going to do that start committing to the rest of the thing you can't just you know, give us one thing and then still not change the part that actually needs to be changed the most. So that's my frustration. And they were still able to do that in an iPad specific way, right? When they did, uh, when they did bring the trackpad to the iPad, the way that uh, a cursor operates on the iPad, the way it takes on the shape of different yeah. buttons, it does. It is a, it is an iPad specific experience. So it is still possible 
um, to deliver that, I think. It's, and I don't know that I necessarily love no. that, by the way. <laughs> um, right. But, I, you know, you ever use Sidecar on an iPad? Like, then you kind of see what macOS does look like. And it's like, in my mind, it is kind of clear that it cannot be 100% macOS. It does, there, right. there does need to be a few changes uh, that, that kind of makes it, you know, still like an iPad. And I think the, the cursor might be one of them where I'd be like begrudgingly like, eh, you might have to find a different solution. But I don't know if I full on want it to be like the standard Mac OS cursor because it always seems to get kind of lost for me in there. I don't know. There, it, it, I, I guess the other thing we keep coming back to everybody is it, even with a company as, as with as many resources as Apple, and as few platforms overall, right? And it's, you know, I'm sure some, some, people, some people at Apple are laughing at the idea that they have too few platforms. But, you know, it's, it's not that many, right? They've got the phone, they've got the iPad, they've got the Mac, they've got TV, they've got the watch. Um, it, it, we just keep coming back to the fact that even Apple can't, to me, can't, the difference in their priorities shows, right? Like we we would not be having this conversation about a new feature on iOS. Like there there's nothing on the phone that is as conceptually uh, confusing is too strong a word, but it, it it's like conceptually mushy. It's like the 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 lines for defining what stage manager is and how windowing works and when when something is a split view versus a stage manager view. Uh, it's all just a little conceptually mushy. And that just doesn't happen with the phone because they have this relentless focus that this is the most important platform for the company. And we need to keep going with these ideas until they're crystal clear and sharp. And it's the iPad that always sort of slips through with eh, close enough. You know, and I, the Mac, I think, gets away with less attention because it is so traditional, right? And so the Mac doesn't need the attention, whereas the iPad is the one where we're like, it still feels like they haven't nailed it, right? Well, I think with the, with the Mac, um, it also kind of shows where it works both ways, because as much as we're talking about how, uh, you know, the, the roots of iOS are in this very simplistic and kind of ingenious um, system of the home screen, it goes to show um, with Ventura that when you take concepts from iOS, I'm, I'm now moving on to the, the system settings <laughs> overhaul, it goes, it goes to show that if you apply that same brush to the Mac, it also doesn't necessarily work. Um, and it, I think it is, it's just dangerous when, you, when, you're, when you're messing around with platforms that are so mature um, and I do I do slightly worry with the with the redesign that occurred with Big Sur and with system uh, settings that we are approaching a touchscreen like interface for the Mac very slowly and I'm not sure if that's a good thing I mean it may never there may never actually be for a touchscreen but even just for um, the sake of making it visually consistent um, and I'm I worry that that comes at a cost. Well, I, you know, I hate to keep going back to 2007, but I will. Um, and when, when Steve Jobs introduced the original iPhone, and we, we now know we have, you know, like Ken Kashenda's book, uh, uh, I forget what the title of his book is, but it's a great book. Uh, 
uh, he's the guy who did the, the iPhone keyboard and wrote a book about developing the, the team that developed the first version of iOS. They started with the Mac, right? And they had the Cocoa frameworks and they had all this and they wiped the slate clean. And it's it, as opposed to, and I know it sounds comical at this point to look back at it, but at the time it it was it was an actual credible operating system, but Windows Mobile had like a start menu down in the lower right corner. Like they literally just <laughs> took Windows, yeah. you know, Windows 2000 or, or you know, and, and made it the size of a phone screen and gave it some up, down, left, right actions. And it, it for all the reasons and, and, and everything, the buttons don't look didn't look the same on the iPhone. Everything sort of had its own look and it was all optimized for the big fat fingertips that we have, right? Mm -hmm. And as opposed to these pixel precise mouse cursors, right? Like the arrow mouse cursor comes to a single pixel point and that's the point that the system registers. You get pixel level precision with a mouse pointer. And with a finger, you don't. You get something that's equivalent to like 40 pixels or 80 pixels of you know, a retina screen, 40 points, whatever you want to call it. But, you know, the size of a fingertip. Uh, so it would have been a disaster for the iPhone to have the Mac style interface, right? Because you really literally could not have used it properly. You wouldn't have been able to precisely select things that you'd want to select or to clip button, tap buttons you wanted to tap. The inverse can work. You can put the iPhone interface on the Mac and have this interface that is designed for less precision on your precision windowing interface. But it doesn't sit right, right? I, I, I can't look at I don't think system settings in Ventura is a disaster. I don't, and that's why I haven't written extensively about it on Daring Fireball. Like last year, I wrote, quite extensively about the proposed well it wasn't even proposed it was shipping but the the new safari tab interface a year ago <laughs> and i but i went really deep on it and and i thought it was well worth my time and if i had any small role in apple's decision to you know what let's let's revoke this and let's go back to the tabs that we had uh, you know i'm i'm happy that i did i don't know but it was worth it to me cuz it was so clearly the wrong way to go with tabs and i don't feel that way about system settings i don't feel it's that bad but the thing that i can feel certain about is that it's not better right it's there's there's the traditional system preferences that we've had for 20 years they've clearly redesigned everything visually all of it they really did wipe the slate clean I, there's things that I like, there's things I don't like, but I don't think anybody can look at it and say, this is a clear win. Boy, this is this is really the reset to the the settings or preferences system-wide on Mac that we've been looking for for 10 years. I, I just don't see it. I, it's not, you're right. It's not like, uh, you know, the worst thing ever, but it's just, it's one of those things where I just thought it was unnecessary. Like, it was fine before. If you wanted to clean up some things, make it a little bit easier to find at a surface level certain things that maybe uh, you know you thought back in the day were not going to be a popular setting that people were going to go to, you know that's fine. And it maybe you got to change a little bit of the icons and make it a little bit visually different. 
that's fine. But this is, you know, this is just looking at my iPhone on a on a different app, and and not even in, I would honestly prefer just a mirrored version of the iPhone settings app at this point <laughs> over what we well, have. That, so at least th- I know what's going on. That to me is the part that's a little. Huh. What what are you guys really thinking there? Because the, it is sort of like the uncanny valley where at, mm-hmm. at a glance, like if if I just took this interface back to you a year ago and showed it to you guys now, you'd be like, oh, I see what this is. This is a, a Mac at, at a quick glance, 10 seconds. You'd say, oh, I see, you know, in the future, Apple is going to make the Mac settings look like iOS and iPad OS settings, right? It, at a glance, you, you can see that. But once you really drill down and look at it, it's not, right? So if you are intimately familiar with the iPhone settings app and then you get your first iPad, it is very, very familiar, right? Because it's effectively the same app at a different size, but they're in the same, you know, the panels are in the same order. The things you can set are, you know, mostly equivalent. And, and when they're not, it makes sense for which device it is that, that it's, that it's not equivalent. The Mac, it, it they're not the same. So I, all, I honestly feel that it, uh, going on that uncanny Valley theory that it, you it would it was better that system preferences was totally different than ios settings because it was different you know things that are different should look different whereas now it looks so familiar but they're in a different order and there's way different capabilities and to me i I don't see who that's helping so to me the power users who were intimately familiar with the old system preferences now all of their familiar habits and locations are gone and the people who aren't as familiar who might be helped by that are given a false sense of similarity you know like oh this is like my iphone settings but no wait this is different this is different this is in a different location oh and these are totally different options blah 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 i'm not sure it's helping them either that's that's what i think i think what concerns me um about system settings as it stands in a way that doesn't concern me about stage manager is that because it's not it's not a it's not a catastrophe as we're saying um it's it's a lot more easy for apple to just leave that as it is whereas stage manager is clearly going to have to go through some form of iteration at least on the ipad i would be very surprised if that's just left as is now but they can very easily leave system settings as it is um and i think that would be a, a, a shame because if you're if you're if you're just replacing something for the sake of it, it, it it's not a it's not a complete experience yet. Well, the other thing too that's a little funny about it is that it there are views that don't animate that could animate, right? When you when you <laughs> yes. when you when you drill down hierarchically in iOS, you know you've got your top level, and then you drill down, and every time you drill down into the hierarchy, the view slides over to the left, and it. it Again, I'm going back to 2007, but it was a fascinating, you know, if you could even go back to 2001 with the iPod, right, where where it was the iPod's way of saying, hey, you could put 5,000 songs onto a hard drive in this pocket-sized device, but how in the world are you ever going to find anything? Well, by hierarchy, artist, album, song, and you drill, and, but as you did it, the views animated so that you kind of your, your brain picks up on that and you just sort of get it oh i get it i'm going deeper into the hierarchy 
it's so it's kind of bananas that on the Mac there those views don't animate in system settings. They just sort of snap into place, you know, as you click it, it, it's more, it feels more like using a web browser than using a native app. It, it's a very strange, it, very strange that it doesn't animate because you would think animation, that's the sort of thing that you could show off and, and that Apple could say, Oh, we did this because it looks so cool. That's, I guess the other thing, that's the thing that I'm so frustrated by is this does not look cool. Right. It's um, like when they first showed Aqua, when Mac OS 10, you know, was was a, a public beta and they're like, oh, and Steve Jobs literally said it's an interface so good you'd want to lick it. Right. It, it's a lickable user interface where the on screen buttons and windows and just it the way that menus look just the boring old menu bar you pull down and it's like oh there's transparency and and there's stripes it looks so cool it it looks fancy it looks like you know uh, lots and lots of effort went into just making it look cool and you know you can argue as as a reasonable person you could say well i don't know if i want my computer company spending all this time just making something look cool right uh, but that's sort of what draws people to Apple products is that they do want stuff to look cool. And I don't know, system settings does not look cooler than system preferences did. It's, you know, and even if it did, at, at least there'd be something that they could hang their hat on. And you could we could still be complaining about the nitty gritty details of certain of the panels and system settings. But at least somebody could say, yeah, but it looks so cool. But it doesn't look cool. It doesn't. The views don't even animate as you drill into the hierarchy. I think that makes I think that makes perfect sense, um, and I think that I, I hadn't quite occurred to me what I wasn't enjoying about using it because things were not where I expected them to be. But I think even if they were not where I expected them to be, I would have had fun using it psychologically if things had just animated in that hierarchical way. Um, but instead, it sort of feels flatter. It's almost like it feels like a half baked Catalyst app, where you know when you used to use the the Home app in an older version of oh Mac OS, and, yeah. and it sort of it felt. <laughs> unresponsive yes. in a strange way it, it kind of feels a bit like using one of those apps um <laughs> it so. did when the home app first came to mac os it honestly felt like hey did did somebody at apple ship this by by mistake is this like a, a xcode setting and and they <laughs> sent the ipad version to the mac app store i mean it was uh, very uh, brittle feeling. Yeah, flat. You said flat. I, I agree with that. And and it's almost it's almost like it feels like a mock-up, right? Like somebody who's proposed redesign of system settings and they're not they didn't want to spend the time to fully uh, make it. It just so it's sort of like oh, here's a bunch of keynote slides that show you what the interface would look like, except even keynote has animations, right? It it might actually animate more if it was a, a, a design mock-up made in Keynote or some other prototyping tool. Well, okay. So speaking of some of those other apps, because, you know, we did get some other features. It's, it's weird. Mac OS and iPad OS, and actually all of the updates were just kind of like, eh, eh. Like, yeah, there are a couple of key marquee features that you might be excited about, depending on who you are. But, uh, you know, like, I personally, I like the improvements to the mail app. I love the redesign home app. Just you know, go piggyback off of the the home app. It, it, it's definitely much better on Mac OS these days as it used to be. Um, 
Is there anything, you know, continuity camera, FaceTime handoff, the clock and weather apps, anything that, t- you know, kind of catches your eyes there that you're like, I'm excited to use this once I get it going on my machine? I, th- I th- The continuity camera one is really interesting to me um, because it, it the difference between an iPhone camera and everything else, it's so it, it's just so profound, right? It's yeah. it, it, the 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 leap in quality is amazing, but the problem is, have you tried like the Belkin uh, yep. dongle, whatever they call it, the magnetic? I forget yeah. what the name of the product is, but it, it I I haven't written about it yet, but I should. Uh, I have to say, I have to give it a thumbs down because mm-hmm. it. The instructions are very clear that you should keep your laptop or your, you know, it's like the Belkin continuity camera for Apple notebooks or something like that yeah. is the name of the, the name of the product. And they show you in the directions that your, your Apple notebook <laughs> should be at a right angle. In other words, the keyboard is perfectly flat and then the screen is at a 90 degree yeah, angle. Nobody uses their laptop like that. <laughs> No, you can't. It's pointed at like your sternum. Right. It, it, it's it, even even if you have like a standing desk or you work at like a bar height, you know, uh, you still don't angle your screen like that. It is a very unnatural position. And but if you do, if you position your MacBook so that the continuity camera can actually see your face, it it literally does <laughs> fall over. It's I, it, 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 I had that same issue. It, <laughs> uh, I I do want to see. I don't think Belkin's come out with the one for the studio display or the Pro Display XDR yet, which is actually the one the device where I'm more interested in using it because I have a studio display at my desk. Yeah, and I would I would much prefer to just put an old iPhone, just keep an old iPhone attached to the top, and then use the built-in more or less uh, mediocre at best built-in studio display camera and then i don't think the angle would be such an issue but one thing we all know though is that most people use laptops most you know laptops are by far and away the most prevalent you know form factor for people's uh, macs and you know mac and windows users and i don't know it's like the they haven't solved the they've added this amazing technology and it really is seamless it, it is super easy to set up it is not fiddly it is really really convenient to use except that you have to prop your macbook at this unnatural angle yeah and, i think it, or or put it on a stack of phone books or something i don't know i definitely think the the number one seller between those two and i didn't realize that there was two different ones and like one's not of it so when i got this i didn't look at the name i'm like yeah this is gonna be great i'm looking at my my studio or my uh pro display xdr and i'm like what is how how am i supposed to fit this and then i go back and look at the box and i'm like oh yeah this is not for that like that's cool so uh i was very disappointed in it but that's because not continuity camera because like you said it is fantastic of a feature. Although desk view, eh, not as cool as Apple made it seem to be. At least with a MacBook. Now I, I really want to see how it works with you know another monitor, something up higher. Then I think you're really you know you really have something there. Just guessing, but like with a MacBook, there's not enough height 
to be able to see. I'm looking at my stomach when I'm looking. I'm like, no one wants to see this. So what am I like? What, what am I doing here? Yeah, it seemed too good to be true, and and in reality, it doesn't. It it it, it isn't nearly as slick or as polished as they made it seem. In my, you know, they made it seem like well, you're gonna look like a professional YouTuber doing right. a, a ca camera down view. I thought I was and, gonna replace my setup here because I got like a right. little stand here. Like I don't need it anymore. Right. I can just use my my iPhone camera. Boom, we're done. No, it's not the case. Also, no it. It's a great feature, but it it, uh, it but it also reminds you just how heavy an iPhone is, really. You know, during the keynote, they were not using a MacBook, were they? They were definitely using a studio display. I'm all I think so. Yeah, they used a thirteen. Uh, Craig used a, a thirteen inch MacBook Pro, I believe, the one with the seven twenty p camera uh, on purpose. Well, yeah, okay, and that's exactly what continuity camera is great for. But I I really do think, like you said, a lot of people do use laptops. But I think a lot of people these days, especially with work from home, they use laptops docked at their desk. And like when it's a video call, it's like, all right, I got to unplug this. I got to take the laptop. I got to put it down. You know, if you have it closed lid, I mean, you're 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 out of luck. Unless you, your monitor has a good camera, and you know a lot of monitors out there really don't, um, so I, I think that's where they're really going to get a lot of people to use this feature, and um, I think that's where it'll be the most useful. But I, I feel like in that display where he has like the the magic trick going on or the cards or whatever, wasn't was that yeah. a laptop or was that? I don't remember. I thought that at least at one point it, it he was using a Pro Display XDR because that thought. got. That got them out of the uncomfortable area of wait, why why isn't the built-in camera good enough? Right? With the studio display, they'd have to answer the question, well, wait, doesn't it, it this is a brand new display with a built-in camera. Why isn't that good enough? Whereas the Pro Display XDR has no built-in camera. So right. they can say, you know, it, it, it's it's an easier demo for Apple to make, even though it's a five thousand dollar display. Hartley, any uh any issues with continuity camera on your end? Did you have you used it quite a bit or uh I I I have pretty much the the same takeaway that the the weight is an issue on MacBooks, but I, I think I just I would have been less concerned if the iPhone was more like the the form factor of the iPhone six. Um but I, I do feel <laughs> yeah. that even though the iPhone is definitely gonna survive that 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 drop, um it's still not a nice it's still not a nice feeling when your your iPhone is, you know, sliding along your your MacBook. Oh, um, right. But I don't know if it's. I think people still will will like the feature, and I don't know if it maybe maybe we're just being pedants by by complaining about the the weight. I don't know. I mean, I I it bothers me, but I don't know if someone that goes and buys that Belkin stand, they're not going to care about the angle. I think they're going to just hold on to their their you know the the wrist pads of their 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 MacBook while they're using it, um, and just and just see see how it goes. Sure, we could just be preaching for someone who does it like this isn't an issue so like we're just preaching for no reason but i don't know well it, it's just it's one of those funny things where it, it, it all, all of these things that we have and we all take for granted in our daily life were all ideas from science fiction just 10 years ago or 20 years ago right and you ubiquitous video calls that you could make at any time for free uh was literally a, a staple of science fiction for decades. And now we have it and everybody's sort of annoyed by it. And everybody is like, ah, another Zoom meeting. Uh, and it's like, 
We're all just, we're angry at this amazing technology. But the other thing that we just didn't get right in our imaginations when it was science fiction was that we'd all be photographed from an unflattering angle, <laughs> way too low, <laughs> the looking whole up time. your nose. Right. Nobody ever imagined that everybody, everybody is just going to look at, almost everybody in the meeting is going to be shot from an unflattering desk height camera. <laughs> Just, I love it's, when people could focus on my chin neck area. Yeah. It's just, it's the most appealing part of everyone's body. We all, that's what we go for. Um, okay, so Mac OS, Ventura, you know, what about the Mac lineup as a whole? We can talk about briefly, you know, what we're going to expect in the future, but I, I do have a question. Um, about what you think about the Macs that have come out within the last year, you know, in 2022. And, and, and even, you know, we could do a little bit of last year, too. Like, what, what's your favorite Mac? Because I, I got mine that I, I think I'm going to fight, uh, you know, take it down to the grave with me. Because I think it's one of the best laptops that Apple has come out with in a long time. But I would like to know what your Mac of choice is and what your kind of favorite Mac that's been released over the last year or so has been. A 14-inch MacBook Pro. Okay. And that that's my baby that's the thing that uh, that I have connected to my studio display upstairs. Uh, I uh, and I love absolutely love that it is a peer to peer technical uh, sibling to the 16 inch. Whereas for for so many years, the 16 inch or going back farther, 15 inch, you know, but the bigger version of the MacBook Pros had higher tech specs because it actually used the physical space you know to have more of a cool active cooling system quote unquote yeah uh, <laughs> uh, you know and 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 could have more powerful video cards because there was the power you know the battery to run it etc i love that the 14 and 16 inch now are just like look if you want the bigger screen get the bigger screen but that's all you're getting they're technically peers i love it uh, I think that the the new MacBook Air is not from you know I have the MacBook Pro I love it I think for most people the the MacBook Air that they introduced at WWDC in June is the best laptop from the best laptop for most people that anybody has ever made it is I, I'm not sure what to complain about with it it's that it's is really my choice <laughs> that is I, the... I, 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 I think it's just unbelievable. It, it it is so good. It's so thin. Every time I pick one up or see one, I'm like, I cannot believe how thin this is. It it's really bananas, and and with no compromises, and it it uh, or very few compromises, I guess. But uh, it just a great screen. It runs cool. It looks cool. It is yep. so thin. I, I love it, and I think I, I could recommend it wholeheartedly to anybody. Hartley, I'll get into mine in a minute, but I do want to hear yours. What's your? No, I'm I'm with John. I I love the 14 inch MacBook Pro. Um, for me, it was the the MacBook. I think a lot of us waited for for an extremely long time because it just it feels like such a, a fully considered package. You know, it's giving you um, virtually the best that Apple can offer right now in terms of display technology. You've got ProMotion there. You've got Mini LED. You've got the ports that people have wanted for years. Even the the black well for the the keyboard is just great to look at. The shape of it. Um, it's it's it feels like such a um, a sort of fully considered experience in a way that um, other Apple devices, um, a lot of them maybe haven't felt for a long time or are not quite so breathtakingly complete um, 
and so yeah, I, I I love it. But of course, the the MacBook Air and the the MacBook Pro they they're they're really siblings um, that are catering to two slightly different but definitely connected audiences. Um, so they go they go hand in hand. I mean, the MacBook line has clearly never been stronger. Right. I think so. Mine is the MacBook Air, but that's only because I don't have a 14-inch MacBook Pro, and I feel like I would love that. Because the reasons why I love the MacBook Air are the reasons why you guys love the 14-inch MacBook Pro. I have a 16-inch MacBook Pro. I used that up until the Mac Studio came out. Then we got the Mac Studio. And the Mac Studio is great. And I do love it. But I'm angry that it takes me away from using my MacBook Pro. Because all I really want is a powerful machine like the Mac Studio, like the MacBook Pro, and just to be able to take it with me wherever I go. And that's what the 14-inch MacBook Pro is. And I have the 16-inch, and I've realized that traveling with that, um, after traveling with the M2 MacBook Air, which was more than capable of being able to edit the videos that I do and and handle all the work that I did. Now, granted, I've used two versions of that. I used the base model and then one with the maxed out RAM. And it's very important that you uh, beef up the RAM quite a bit because I had two different opinions on it. It was like, yeah, this is fine, but I probably couldn't use it on a daily basis. And then I got one with the beefed up RAM. And I'm like, oh, no, this actually works really well, um, you know, with a little bit more storage in it, too. Um, so, yeah, I, I love the MacBook Air, but I really think the reason why I like it is because it is powerful, small, it looks great, and I could take it with me. But that's really just a 14-inch MacBook Pro is what's waiting for me, I think, in the future. So I'm super excited about the next generation of it. Uh, but unfortunately, we are delayed, which is what I want to talk about next. Mm-hmm. Um, why? What's going on? I was so excited, and now I'm very disappointed about the rest of the year. Well, I I wonder though, is it really delayed or did we have unreasonable expectations? I feel like Could that's that. it, it we, you know, and, and it, there's only so much that we can, we can rely on Mark Gurman for, right? Single-handedly. I mean, and he's doing terrific work. He's obviously, you know, He could be better. He could be better. Come on, Mark. Step it up. <laughs> I'm kidding. He's he's he's, obvi- he's got terrific sources throughout the company, you know. And I I don't I actually don't think you know in putting on my media critic hat, I don't think he's overplayed his uncertainty recently, right? So, uh, uh, by which I mean the uh, in the rumor game, if you say oh, I heard that Apple is going to release blank in September and then September comes and doesn't it doesn't come out it's saying that oh well it's late and it's like well who knows if your source was you know was it ever really planned for that date I don't know I I kind of feel like maybe these updates aren't late because I don't think I, I don't think it's clear to me that the M series chips are on a 12 month cycle. I think yeah. it seems like they're more on an 18 month cycle, right? It's only only Apple's A series chips for the iPhones seem to be on that regular clockwork every September there's going to be a new generation of iPhones. Um it seems like the M series chips are more on an 18 month cycle, in which case we're not due for updated MacBook Pros, right? And we probably won't get M3 MacBook Airs until this time next year, right? Instead of June, that they might be more of like a, a October, November thing. We'll see. And, and how much of this is, uh, impacted by covid over the last two years and and 
the the way it's disrupted work and the way that it is still to you know literally in the news today or yesterday uh disrupting the supply chain in in the manufacturing in china who knows it's i'm sure it's a combination of all these things but i i'm not sure that they're late i i kind of feel like once a year is too probably too aggressive for our hopes for for macbook updates well i mean and what else can they really i mean what else can they really do to make it you know so that people want to upgrade to it yes the m2 is a good chip but like I'm willing to bet that the M2 or the M1 Pro and the M1 Max versus the M2 Pro and the M2 Max, most people out there probably be like, yeah, it's I'm still good. Like I'm still fine. I don't need to. You know, what else are you really going to do? It's when we start looking further down the road. You know, OLED displays. Maybe we right. can finally get some sort of you know connectivity that's not Wi-Fi. It blows my mind that that still hasn't happened. Uh, it's 2022, yep. and I can't take my laptop with me and use cell service. Like how? Yeah, it's a whole other discussion for every, a whole every other show, but well, no, but it it is curious though, right? Because other, you know, it's not like other laptop brands don't have built-in cellular options. It's Apple is the conspicuous yeah. uh, uh, exception, and the the other thing that's obviously conspicuous about it is, as opposed to like uh, uh, Lenovo with ThinkPads or Dell or or companies like that. Which of these companies that makes highly regarded laptops is also a preeminent cell phone maker? <laughs> it's right. Apple, right? They right. obviously know cellular technology and cellular modems uh, as well as anybody in the world. And yet they're the one company that doesn't make laptops that have cellular connectivity. It's, I, I, it's, it's at this point, it, it's so long where we've been hoping for cellular options for MacBooks that it almost feels it's like you just tried to blow it off here as a topic on the show. It's, it, it, it's like old news, but it, it's worth repeating. It's, it's really unusual, right? And, and who's most likely to do it? Professionals, people who can, you know, uh, who travel a lot, who need to connect, uh, while they're outside their home or the regular office or, or a known Wi-Fi network and they have the budget, you know, obviously, you know, looking at iPads, it would probably be $150 extra upgrade, hard, just hardware alone to get a cellular version plus 50-ish dollars a month, you know, for yeah. a plan. But for some business users, that is a no-brainer. and. Sure. The, the people, the, I, I, how many people listening to this show right now would just buy it at a snap of their fingers if the next MacBook, if the only new feature was okay, we've added cellular, people would be over the moon, ec ecstatic, happy. That would be a major feature, and I not I did not want to blow it off. I just thought for the sake of time, because right. we could spend hours on this. Um, well, because it goes it goes into the the territory yeah. with uh, with Qualcomm and the right. the legal issues apple's had i would hazard a bet that if it wasn't for that maybe we would have seen qualcomm modems inside a, a mac but now you know we're waiting for custom modems which you know it seems like that's very much apple style at this point yeah yeah i think it's kind of the modem version of uh, the the silicon story where uh apple's macbook designs were hamstrung for years because of the thermal characteristics of intel's chips and 
they finally solved that by switching to their own chips. And I kind of feel like that's what we're waiting for with the modems is when Apple can just ship their own modem and not pay Qualcomm and stay out of that entire uh, messy legal fight, I guess. And it'll all make sense eventually. But who knows? This might be the sort of thing where I come back on your show five years from now and we're still talking about it. I hope we're still running strong five years from now. <laughs> that would sound great. Um, yeah, I mean, so those are you know that I do agree with everything as a whole when it comes to the future Max. Um, you know, I I I am disappointed, but like at the end of the day, when you really look at it, does it make sense for Apple to unleash a new MacBook with just a chip upgrade and a couple of you know smaller memory ports? You know, some of those speed boosts that aren't necessarily sexy to marketing, uh, but like. To us nerds who really want to get the faster ports and the faster uh, RAM and, and SSDs. The M2 iPad you know, Pro is, is cooling there. Yeah, yeah. It, it's basically the M2 iPad Pro all over again. What's the marketing for that? Mm-hmm. Although, uh, if anyone could market anything, it's Apple. They, I mean, they still made the M2 iPad Pro. I feel like most of the things they showed off in that video were like things that you could still do on an iPad now. And I'm like, man, I'm looking forward to my new M2 iPad Pro. For what? I have Just because the, the commercial was cool. Do you think so? What do you think they're going to do with the iMac? Do you think they're going to stick with the just the 24 inch as the one true iMac size, or do you think there is a 27 or 30 inch iMac in the works for the M2 or M3? Because I, I think it's, I could see it going either way. I, I honestly don't know which way to predict. I think that um, it's more unlikely that we will see that device. And I think that is because um, the Mac Studio makes more sense Mm -hmm. for that demographic of customers. And to engineer a whole different thermal architecture, a whole different chassis, um, I mean, they can slap the same display on it of whatever next generation monitor they do, but the whole of the rest of the device has to be fundamentally different. Um, The proportion of customers that will actually buy that device relative to the proportion that will buy a Mac Studio or a Mac Pro has got to be negligible. Um, just because it doesn't have that that modular nature. You know, the iMac Pro came out at a strange time before the 2019 Mac Pro. So there was kind of a use for that in that middle ground um, territory. But now I sort of wonder, there doesn't really seem to be a, a, a good place in the lineup. You know, part of me likes the idea of a, of a pro, a non-pro version of each product. But I think that an iMac Pro is the one right now that does not make a whole lot of sense, especially when we get a, a more interesting monitor with ProMotion and any LED later down the line. I think I would just settle for just a larger version of the 24-inch iMac. Like, let's just do a 27 or a 32. Like, I'd be I'd be fine with that. Yeah, you know that that would sort of alleviate a lot of the complaints, right? And I, I, is is there an argument that 24 inches fits in certain desktop? cramped scenarios where 27 or 30 would be too big i i don't know it's hard to st- i kind of feel like if there's only going to be one size if it was a little bigger it would be uh, it would be more palatable you know that you can get a big enough but on the other hand whenever i do look at the imac like if i'm you know, going through the apple store it always does surprise me that it's like wow that is a really nice looking computer and it mm-hmm. you know if you're not comparing it side by side to a 32 inch pro display xdr it the display looks terrific so i don't know i i do I think, think the max i i think basically the mac studio 
answers so many questions that we've all had for years, you know, right? It, it, it's exactly like you said, where it, it gets that, well, you don't need a iMac Pro anymore. Just get the Mac Studio. Or you don't need a beefed up Mac Mini. Get the Mac Studio. That is the beefed up Mac Mini that you've been asking us for. I think it could make sense to offer um, that larger display size just with you know an M2 and even an M2 Pro option because from what we are um, aware of, uh, it would make sense that Apple will be offering a larger MacBook Air at some point in the next year. And that device could come with M2 and M2 Pro sitting alongside the existing MacBook Air. So we could see fragmentation coming in terms of display sizes, much like we see with the MacBook Pro, but on other devices like the iMac and MacBook Air, which to me would uh, fit in really nicely and feel a little bit more secure than an iMac Pro would be in the lineup. Yeah, I was just going to say that, you know, I. I loved the MacBook Air because I thought the M2 gave me the better performance than the M1 that I was looking for, for, you know, short term, quick little edits on the road. Um, you know, I, even I did, I even did projects that were pretty much in line with what I normally worked on and it was fine. And if I could get that in a 27 inch iMac with an M2 chip and, you know, maybe beef up the RAM a little bit just because and uh, get the storage up there. I, I mean, I feel like a lot of people who do, like they're teetering on the line of pro and not pro, like they could totally get away with that. And it looks fantastic, fits the aesthetic of like a modern office that you'd want. Um, and so, yeah, just maybe up the screen size a little bit. And I, I think you're fine with not doing a pro. The real pro, like you said, would be the studio. And then whenever this Mac Pro is going to come, because uh, right. I mean, at this point, I'm just holding my breath, but. I don't think it's coming. I don't know what I mean. I mean, it's coming, but when? Like they passed their transition time uh, for the whole lineup, so I don't know. I thought it was coming yeah. this year. Yeah, that is interesting because they said what uh, when they first introduced the uh, announced the transition to Apple Silicon. They said we would transition by the end of next year. I think yeah. was what they said. Um, and so they've obviously missed that, but at the same time. Back in when did they announce the Mac Studio? Was that uh, it was like March, April, right? April or March, right? Yeah, um, or May. And extremely conspicuously, I would say one of the most unusual little comments in an Apple product introduction ever was John Turnus explicitly saying, "We've moved the whole Mac lineup." to our architecture with one exception the mac pro and that's it and now here we are it's you know six seven months later and there's no word on it but they did say that back in april which they never do they never talk about future products famously i mean the company is it's the whole reason there's a, a room for a Mac rumors to exist, right? Because the rumors, we, we need them because they're right. so secretive about their future stuff. And they, he, he said, and you know, we haven't forgotten about the Mac pro it's coming, but we don't, you know, we have no details to tell you about it. I guess my, my guess is it's going to be, uh, you know, like some kind of thing like uh, an M2, uh, who knows what I don't, they're running out of adjectives, right? Uh, ultra, uh, extreme Harley, what I, is it I mean, supposed I... to be? Uh, well, Mark Gurman has tentatively suggested it could be extreme. 
Um, but he did. Dream? It's worth saying that he did say yeah. yes. tentatively pro and max and ultra. So right. no he way. Let's does go have extreme a with these. <laughs> yeah. Uh, with these, I, but some kind of thing that is like, uh, you know, the M1 Max, but four of them together or eight of them together, who knows how, how they're going to do it. I, I, I presume it's going to be absolutely wild in terms of how, uh, how much multi-processing it's capable of in terms of, you know, CPU, GPU, the machine learning. It's, it's going to be wild, but I would also guess it is going to have a wild price tag. Uh, yeah. you know uh like, and 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 isn't going to be the sort of thing it's it's funny you know to to have effectively for me aged out of being able to uh, actually take advantage of a cutting edge computer right like when when i was younger there was no computer on the planet that i wouldn't have known what to do to stress it right like oh i would like to play this game or i'd like to you know uh, edit video high resolution video and that would max out any computer of the time and at this point i you know i don't even know how to max out a, a laptop you know the my yeah. macbook pro is so powerful and it never breaks a sweat so what in the world would i need a mac pro for i know some people do but it is you know it, it's way out there in terms of their uh, computing needs it's always it's like with the Mac Studio when we got the Ultra. Like I don't need this. I'm only I'm only showing you what it's like and what it could do. But like I don't need this at all. Um, it's great to have. Um, I just hope they do the same thing with the Mac Pro that they do did with the Studio, where they offered a lesser you know chip inside because there's going to be some other advantages. We're hoping it still has that modularity and that customization available to it to where we can kind of add a few things maybe. I don't really know what. I'm guessing it's going to have to be mostly relied on PCIe. Um, so, like, don't overpri overprice the one that most people don't need, but don't overprice the whole thing. Like, <laughs> I was so shocked when they, did, when they did the studio, and they're like, oh, well, you can get this one for only $34.99. And I know people are like, only thirty four ninety nine, but in reality, that's not bad. When you know the Mac Pro started at, or the iMac Pro started at like five grand, and the Mac Pro started at six grand, like that's what I was expecting. And the fact that you didn't need to fork up that much more uh, is is good. So I don't know, Hartley, what were you gonna say? Well, supposedly that's that's how it will it will work. Is that you effectively cool. get two chip options for each of Apple's Pro Max? You will get. It's a good um, move. Uh, you know, uh, the choice of the ultra or the quote unquote extreme with the Mac Pro. But the real question here, I think, that ties all of this together is what um, fabrication technology uh, these chips will be made from. So, go back to when we were talking about the next generation MacBook Pros and talking about how are they really delayed or is there something else going on with this timing? To me, the thing that screams out to me is what is happening with their chips because. The M2 is based on 5 nanometer. The A16 is based on 4 nanometer, which was quite unexpected. And we know that Apple um, has orders for 3 nanometer chips, which are entering mass production at the end of this year. And that's why it was kind of believable that there'd be new MacBook Pros at the end of this year. Will they have 3 nanometer? If it's not for the MacBook Pros, then what is it for? Is it for the Mac Pro? Um, there's something going on with the timing and the nature of this chip technology. And that is what has the capacity to really um, separate um, the M2 
Pro, M2 Max, and whatever this M2 Extreme or whatever it may be, um, these chips from uh, what we have seen of Apple's silicon so far, which is strange, really, considering that M2 will continue to be on 5 nanometer. And in all likelihood, we are going to see some kind of fabrication technology bump uh, in the immediate future. So, John, do you have any thoughts about how fabrication uh, kind of plays into this at all? No, not really, except for the fact that it seems like uh, the one thing that I feel confident about is that it's the it's the each generation of the A series presages the the M series. So I I couldn't I can't see how the Mac would get three nanometer before there's an iPhone with an A seventeen that's on three nanometer. You know that that's I, I feel like we're always going to see the the sort of iPhone version of the leading chip technology that they can make before we see it in an M series until we don't, you know, uh, maybe at some point, maybe, and maybe the Mac pro that the needs are so, uh, so dissimilar technically to a phone that that would be the one that's sort of off on its own path you know, and, and is not sort of based on a, on an A series chip from the phone. I, but I don't think so. I think it's just sort of, they just keep, I I always joke and say, they're just gluing them back to each other, but they're just gluing a bunch of A16 chips on a, on a board until there's enough of them to make you say, wow, that's super impressive. But it it is weird too, though. It, 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 I do wonder what it was Back when they announced the Apple to, to go back to when Tim Cook announced the, the the move to Apple Silicon, what made them confident that they would finish by the end of 22? What is what is different between now and that WWDC? And I, I wouldn't be surprised if it is more or less down to uh, chip manufacturing in terms of, you know, and that that forecast easily could you know, they could have known a long time ago, like, oh, the the capability to produce these chips that we were expecting two or three years ago doesn't exist anymore. That's that's not the world uh, in 2021 or 2022. Therefore, we have to change the plan. Yeah, I think uh, I think it's all very exciting. It's just, you know, when we're going to get there is, is the real question. And I mean, I don't know. Do you have anything else to add to the the whole future of the MacBooks? Any of you guys? Um, not the MacBooks, just the Mac lineup in general before we wrap it up. Well, I, I still think that the most exciting thing is the Mac Studio is effectively the Mac that we enthusiasts have been asking for ever since the Cube went away, right? Mm-hmm. Like the Cube, Cube was what we wanted. We just didn't want it at that price and we didn't want it to suffer manufacturing defects and cracks (laughs) but but the idea that we wanted a desktop a powerful pro level desktop but that make it really small and cute and super fast and modular um so to me it's the the most exciting thing is okay the if you get a, a a maxed out mac studio today how much how much more needs do people have that 
that makes a Mac Pro even popular or possible, right? That to me is what was so intriguing about John Turnus saying that it in the, the Mac Studios announcement last year was if he hadn't mentioned it, wouldn't we all think this is the Mac Pro? We, yeah. If Apple hadn't mentioned it, we would have thought, oh, okay, this is the new Mac Pro. And it, Apple Silicon is such a game changer that instead of this big, huge desktop with these big holes and this uh, incredibly complicated cooling system, uh, it it's just like two Mac minis stacked on top of each other. That's the difference. And, and instead of internal expansion for modularity, it's all external over Thunderbolt and USB-C, that's the future that Apple sees for the desktop. I, I think you'd almost, if they hadn't mentioned it, we'd, we'd be certain that they weren't going to make another Mac Pro, but they said they are. So it, to me, it is the most exciting thing on the radar for the, you know, 2023 for us watching the company is what exactly do they have in mind? Because it, there must be a reason for it to exist that the Mac Studio doesn't technically fill the needs for. Well, that and the Apple headset, you know, I'm just saying 2023, this is our year, let's go. <laughs> and, but comparatively, we know so little about the, the Mac Pro, I think that's also what makes it so fascinating is not only is it going to be the, the crown jewel of, of the of the whole, not only the Mac lineup, but also what they're doing with Apple Silicon. But there's so many questions about its design. It's like we were saying with uh, modularity and PCIe, you're going to be upgrade, able to upgrade the storage, it's unlikely you'll be able to upgrade the the memory yeah you can um, so well, th th there's 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 so many questions around um right every every level of this device um that i think it could be could be one of the most sort of unexpectedly interesting releases of next year at this point other than the headset obviously as you say though well yeah real quick is it possible that they could figure out a way and that's what's maybe taking a little bit to that this does become a modular thing but like could you replace the whole chip like, could you upgrade to the next version and you're just kind of now keeping like the, the, the whole body as a thing and then like, okay, well, the uh, I, I don't the ultra is not enough for me. I need to upgrade to the extreme. Like, is there a way that we can do that or is that pretty much not going to happen? I don't think that I, that that sounds too unApple like to me yeah. that they would, you know, and and if they were ever going to do it wouldn't they have done it with the solid gold apple watches right because there were a lot of us back then when they were like holy crap these watches cost twenty thousand dollars you know True. fifteen thousand dollars uh and, and people thought like well but what if next year if if you bought the fifteen thousand dollar solid gold one you could take it in the apple store and they'll you know uh 48 hours later you come back and they they put the next generation chip inside and it, it it makes sense for the price, but it it you know obviously did not come to pass, and it it's not the way Apple really operates. Sure. What I would think is maybe possible, and again, I could be totally talking out of my butt here, but some kind of middle ground between SSD storage and RAM that's soldered onto the actual system on a chip. Is there a way that they could make memory expandable where the chip has X amount of gigabytes of RAM that you cannot upgrade? You have to specify it when you buy the machine and it is the fastest possible memory you can access. But would there be a way to add RAM 
at like a secondary level where this this ram is not as fast as the stuff that's on the chip but you can you know you, you could put half a terabyte of ram in the machine or something yeah. like that like like it, genuine innovations in computer architecture i i apple's ambitions are that grand right and so our basic idea that there's ram and there's storage and there's nothing in between you know maybe fundamental assumptions like that are the things that they're going to upset or disrupt I'd be down with that. maybe is a better word and you know and and you know and then you could be like you know it, it it would it would totally be right up apple's alley where if it is some kind of custom expansion card for ram you have to buy it from apple and pay apple's prices and yep. it's it's insanely expensive but then there's going to be some people out there data scientists who work on these massive massive things or or hollywood uh, uh visual effects designers who who are doing these incredibly complicated renders where they're like take my money right yeah it was a couple hundred dollars on ebay for the same type of ram but i have to get it from apple for four thousand let's go go ahead take it well i think that is a good stopping point john thank you so much it's been in a you know a great hour and 15 minutes or so um i wish we could go longer but uh, you know, I think everyone knows where you're at and where to read you and where to listen to you. But for those who might not, please go ahead and uh, tell them where they can find you. I write a website called Daring Fireball, daringfireball.net. Uh, I'm also on. There's a uh, a social media surface called Twitter. Um, for now, at least. Yeah, it's well, it's <laughs> it's gets, it's starting to get some publicity recently. Yeah, uh, I'm at at group. I'm at Gruber on uh, on Twitter. Well, don't forget about the podcast. Oh, and well, you go to Daring Fireball, and I have a podcast there called The Talk Show. There uh, right there. You, you can't miss it when you go to my website. Listen to the podcast first. Listen to his first, and then you can come back to ours and, you know, <laughs> do that on that. That'll be your weekly lineup, okay? Well, this was very fun. I, I, I can't thank you enough for having me on the show. It is so much more fun to be a guest on a show than to be hosting a show. <laughs> I agree, actually. That's that's a whole other topic. But yeah, John, thank you. I really appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you, guys.